Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You've been listening to the same You could never understand Feel the fortune flowing You know it isn't stuck Tune in to Power from the Margins 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December from 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. My father showed me that the benefits of bicycling run much deeper than physical fitness. What we've stumbled across is a basic world rhythm, imitated by those pedals spinning round. There's a youth force driving, living in the suspended energy of that age-old diamond frame. You're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show here on Radical Radio 3CR on this beautiful, sunny, crisp, cold, freezing summer's day here in Melbourne. We've got a good show coming along, wonderful interview about touring in Japan, as usually, and our events, cryptic comments and <laughs> slight observations on the world that spins around us. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now!, Good to see the 20th anniversary of the Seattle WTO protests coming up and also the birth of a lot of independent media, which happened here in Melbourne and Sydney as well at the same time. So nice to step back on those 20 years of what's happened since then. Faith, good morning. Good morning, Val. It is a bit cold out there, isn't it? <laughs> it was a bit of a shock. I, I was regretting not having got the gloves out. It was, yeah. Uh, I made a vow usually when I wear shorts set for the start of the year or put the shorts on for the first time. There's no going back to long pants. <laughs> I'm afraid I've made a, a slight calculation on that the last couple of days, <laughs> which was quite funny. Oh, it is a bit cold. Faith, why not, I'll share a little bit of a bike moment first. Okay. If that's all right. Yeah. Just a couple of things. I got caught out in that little hailstorm yesterday, <laughs> which was pretty funny. But <laughs> it didn't last very long, but it was lovely to see a little bit of changeable weather here in Melbourne. On a much more serious note, I had one of those discussions that I seem to be having a lot over the years is somebody saying you should tell all your fellow cyclists that they give cyclists a bad name when they behave badly. Ugh. Uh, exactly. And look, my reply to this is always, 
it is not about the method of transport, it is about the person that is using it. Whether it be a car, a bike, a motorbike, a horse or a pedestrian, I think slagging people as a group doesn't lead to much good. Let alone going and asking someone to address their people about yes. their behaviour. <laughs> I mean, have, have you ever been tempted to say back, you should have a talk to people like you about yeah, randomly... Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to raise the issues that um, uh, where we spoke about the other week, the percentage rise in pedestrian and cycling deaths. Um, it's not as if, um, you know, anyway, we should move on quickly. Yep. Yep. So your bike moment is hail. Okay. And, and... exacerbation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a good one this morning. The uh, some people might have noticed the jacarandas are out, and there's one very short section as you turn off the Capital City Trail mm-hmm. down a little street to connect to more Capital City Trail. Um, the you come around the corner and there is a house with a jacaranda and at the right time of year, right behind the jacaranda is I don't know what it is, a big tree with the most gorgeous burnt orangey yellowy mustard flowers. Ooh. So the juxtaposition of the jacaranda against the orangey yeah. yellowy yeah, oh. is pretty special and I hadn't seen it for a year. So it's just one of those moments where you come around the corner and go, Oh, <laughs> I got a little bit of a shock. There's a sort of Stonehenge position at my local park where I can look down to a laneway and see the tallest building in Melbourne. <laughs> but hanging over one of the backyards is this most beautiful jacaranda tree. Yeah. And look, I got a bit of a shock because the young ones, the young jacaranda trees in Edinburgh Garden take a while to yeah. really come into flower. And as the, it's interesting, I'm not too sure. There are a few of them around Melbourne called. Um, Oh, Persian lilacs, yep. which have a very faint purplish colour, but have this most wonderful honey smell oh, as you wow. walk past them. There, those blossoms are just <laughs> dropping as the other ones are coming up. Love a jacaranda tree. Uh, comes from South America, I think, yeah. by way of Brisbane. A little bit of news. Got some news. There's a report uh, Victoria Walks released this morning on walking and transport in Melbourne suburbs. But it's one that's really interesting, I think, for uh, about if you're thinking about riding as active transport as well. And what it found basically is that traders in shopping strips have ideas about how people get to the shops um, and they are vastly overestimating the number of people who drive now without any additional infrastructure or anything. anything. So in general, um, vehicle people who access their local shops as a driver of a vehicle is 21%. Is that all? For, oh, sorry, this is oh, trained stations. Yep. Um, 48% are walking only. And then you get more on public transport, bicycles, or as vehicle passengers. But the um, the basic premise running through all the situations I looked at is that the people who are driving to the shops are the owners of the businesses and the people who work there and they are assuming that their customers get there that way too. Um, They tend on Sydney Road, which is a case in point because removing parking on Sydney Road to 
improve the streetscape and allow more people to get there has been a contentious issue for a while. So traders there estimated that 61% of customers drove when at the moment it's 39%. Uh-huh. And that's when, you know, you have a situation where it's actually really difficult to get there any other way right. because of the safety issues for uh, riders and um, it's not a great, pleasant way to walk. High Street Northcote, workers are almost twice as likely to drive as their customers. So 60% of employees drive and only 33% of customers. So I'll put a link up to the report from the Victoria Walks uh, website, but there's um, some really interesting figures in there. And uh, it finishes with uh, Ben Rossiter pointing out that Melburnians make nearly half a million car trips each weekday to destinations less than one kilometre away. True. And Easily that figure replaced. just gets bigger, Yes, which is quite unbelievable. Yeah. Um, look, just a quick thing. I know this has been a bit of a bugbear about me over the last couple of years, Russia and doping. Anyway, <laughs> WADA is getting close to actually banning Russia from the Tokyo Games. This is going to be the end result of it. The reason why I bring this up or started to bring it up was the original, um, originally is... It's a path that competitive national sports seem to have, commercial sports seem to have no way of changing. Actually, the sport becomes more dirtier as we go along, whether it's a nation deliberately falsifying accounts, but this is what happens when we make it so much. The other thing I'd just quickly touch on is... If I said to a lot of road cyclists, they would know who the eternal second was. And that was Raymond Polidor, who died just last November. In 14 tour events, he finished on the podium eight times, was never the winner, never wore the the yellow jersey, but became a very occult figure in France. Whereas the Frenchman Jacques Arquel, who won five, four Tour de France's in that same time became a little bit of a despised figure. It's a really interesting look at how actually people's perceptions or sporting heroes don't necessarily go with the winner all the time. And just as an afterthought, Raymond Polidor was born to parents who we call them sharecroppers now. They were eventually they were actually just French peasants, relying on the landowner working yeah. the soil and taking a small cut of it. Cycling in those days was one of the ways to rise above that poverty. So we dips our lid to the eternal second. You don't have to be a winner to be remembered. Now, we're gonna, uh, we'll be back just after this short announcement. Get on that bicycle and ride Neath the sunny skies over along the ocean side. 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. To find out more, Google Vacro or drop into the underground car park. Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. Yeah, get on that bicycle and ride. Neath the sunny sky. And you're back listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show. Um, 
Today, for a change, Val and I have uh, recorded an interview. We wanted to have Tina McCarthy of uh, Wheel Women on the show to talk about her recent travels in Japan, uh, exploring some new uh, bike touring opportunities. But it turns out she is again in Japan riding her bike. Um, so I was able to meet up with her in between her two Japanese cycling trips and uh, just have a bit of a chat about some of the new areas she explored and the uh, all the other awesome things that um, go along with uh, cycling in Japan. So here it is, an interview with Wheel Women's Tina McCarthy. Welcome to the studio, Tina. Thank you. Um, as some of our listeners may know, you're the face behind Wheel Women in Melbourne. Yes. And uh, you're no stranger to riding in Japan. I know you've hosted quite a few rides there and do some riding yourself. But you've just come back from a trip exploring some new routes in Japan. Would you like to tell us about that? Yes, I would love to tell you about it because it was a really extraordinary trip. So uh, it was probably, I don't know, maybe my 10th or 12th time in Japan. So it was kind of interesting to be going to some of the places I'd already been to before, but um, also a few new places. Um, even though I'd been to a few places before, it was there were new people, new things to see, and uh, it was all very exciting. So the, the whole trip was actually organised by the um, Japanese government. So it, there were three prefe prefectures, um, which are kind of like um, local government areas. They'd got together to organise um, the trip, and it was all about promoting inbound tourism for cycling. So we had um, Ehime Prefecture, which is um, on Shikoku Island, mm -hmm. a small island in Japan. And that's an area you've ridden in before? Yeah. So Ehime Prefecture includes the Shimanami Kaido, yep. or half of the Shimanami Kaido, uh, which is on the Seto Inland Sea. We also had Okinawa, which I had never been to before. So Okinawa, as many will know, is the very tiny little island about... Gosh, I think it's about 1,500 kilometres south of uh, Japan. Uh, it's very close to Taiwan. So uh, even some Japanese don't think Okinawa is very <laughs> Japanese, which is a bit weird. Uh, and then we also had um, Lake Biwa, which is in Shiga Prefecture, which is uh, – that's probably about – 200 k's north of Kyoto. Mm -hmm. And was it one continuous trip or were these separate um, sort of tours? So it was one continuous trip and the idea with these three prefectures is that they're creating something they've called the Cycling Golden Route. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the Cycling Golden Route is to link the three cycling areas together so that when people go and cycle in Japan, they can create um, kind of a, you know, stop off at each location, do some cycling, and then uh, use the infrastructure that they have there to get to each place. So, for example, uh, when we were in Imabari, which is Ehime Prefecture, we then caught a ferry, um, huge ferry. We, we actually thought it looked more like a ship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we caught that across to Osaka and jumped off at Osaka and we were then bussed to Lake Biwa, which is, yeah, north of Kyoto. Right. So it's about using the infrastructure they've got in place to link the three locations. Yeah. It's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And so what sort of riding was it? 
Well, <laughs> I was riding with a couple of others, mm-hmm. and um, so the, the the style of riding was very varied, really. Yep. And I think you could you could choose what kind of riding you did. One of my fellow travellers was actually Stuart O'Grady, who, of course, is a former Paris Roubaix winner. And so his style of riding is completely different to mine. Uh, he he really enjoyed the hills and going quickly. I prefer uh, less hills and going slower. And so sometimes the group was strung out a bit and mm-hmm. um, I was kind of riding on my own, just taking it all in and enjoying it, whereas uh, some of the guys were up, you know, smashing the hills and having fun doing that. So quite different. And, and I so think there's something for everyone. Yeah, like. I think that's what really appealed about all of this was that there was always something for everybody to do and – um, you could choose whether you took on one of the hills to go and see one of the lookouts. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, being a government-supported trip, they had a um, support car, so if you chose not to, to do the hills, you could jump in the car. Yeah. Uh, so it was great. I think if you were on a tour itself, you'd, you'd want to make sure there was a support car if you didn't like hills because, of course, Japan has a lot of hills. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I guess... Um, you could also choose sections to do, like Lake Biwai. 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 Um, is, you know, you could choose to do just that because that in itself sounded like a pretty amazing route. Yeah. Um, you know, that that was my thinking that um, especially when you take into consideration the distances involved, like getting to Okinawa, that's kind of tricky work, especially if you're taking a bike with you. Yeah. Um, but if you were to cycle in one location at each time, you know, there are so many possibilities. Lake, lake Biwa is a 200-kilometre circuit around the lake. Mm. And essentially it's a flat route. There's not many hills around there at all unless you divert off and go and look at some lookouts and stuff. But um, over that 200 kilometres, you could definitely spend several days just bikepacking around and or staying in hotels. And um, there's plenty to see. Plenty. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Japanese word... Um, I think potteringu, which is uh, the taken from the English word pottering, yeah. and it, and it's about cycling to discover things, not to cover distance or get to the destination in a hurry. Which uh, Lake Biwa sounded perfect for that because when you look at the map of the area, there's so much cultural uh, destinations. There sure are. And and I think um, that's certainly what I focus on when we have our Wheel Women tours to Japan. It's not about, it's definitely not about Strava segments, never is, but it's it's all about looking and seeing. So uh, because I'm the tour guide, there's no real set itinerary. And if people say, hey, look at that, what is it? We go and look. And if somebody says, I want to find out what this is down here, then we go and look. And Lake Biwa really offers that opportunity because, um, yeah, there's so many different things there. There's beautiful little temples by the water. Um, there's lots of rice fields, um, lots of farmers who are very welcoming and waving at you as you ride by. <laughs> um, but there's also um, some interesting industry there. Uh, we visited a... Um, it's like a cake factory, but it, the building itself, architecturally speaking, looked like something out of um, either The Hobbit or Star Wars. <laughs> I couldn't quite get my head around which one it was like. But um, from an architectural point of view, it was really interesting as well what they'd done um, from a green point of view. So um, 
Yeah, there are things like that in Biwa which I think are really appealing as yeah. well. Yeah. And I guess um, you mentioned that being a government trip, you had support to get to the different sort of areas for riding because that is something people have to keep in mind in Japan. You can't just pop your bike on a train, for instance. No. And now that the uh, black cat couriers are no longer taking bicycles, that's sort of, I think, the trickiest aspect really yeah, for people. Yeah, I, I to... agree. I think it's it's a really difficult thing and I did mention this to the government people that um, one of the big... Um, the big hassles for inbound touring cyclists is how do we transport our bikes around when we need to? Mm. Because every time you get on a train, you have to what we call rinko bag it. And a rinko bag is basically a small bag. You pull the wheels off your bike and the handlebars sometimes and have to cover the whole thing up. And that's the only way you're allowed on a train. And if you've got panniers, you have to take them off. So you're carrying your yeah. bike and your panniers yep. often yep. up and down stairs yes. to get to different platforms. Yes. It, it's. I just had some warm showers guests who are going to Japan and they've got two bikes, all their panniers and a baby in a trailer. Yeah, wow. And, Good luck. <laughs> and, and it's like the riding is beautiful, but that getting from the airport to where you can start riding is always the part that yeah, you hear people it's, struggle with. It's pretty tricky. And um, the other thing that's going to be coming in, um, I think it's in March of next year, is that if you have your bicycle in a case and you're using the Shinkansen to get from uh, major city to major city, you actually have to book it now to, yeah. um, to get the large luggage on board. And if you don't book it, you're likely to pay like a... Um, sort of an excess baggage fee. So it's becoming a little bit tricky and I think it's something that the Japanese government really needs to consider a little bit more when they're thinking about the yeah. inbound tourism for cyclists. So they, they didn't have a response to that when you raised it? It wasn't something on their radar? No, the the typical answer when I when I brought this up was, mm, totomo muzukashi, <laughs> which means, hmm, very difficult. Mm. <laughs> so... Um, I think they're aware of it, but they're not really sure what to do. Uh -huh. mm. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know why uh, Black Cat stopped transporting bikes. I, I don't know if it yeah, was I don't know either. insurance claims or, mm. yeah. But, it, it, you know, them stopping that service has really um, been incredibly difficult for a lot of people who are transporting yeah. bikes from place to place and luggage as well. Yeah. So, yeah, incredibly difficult. And so getting back to the uh, golden route, mm -hmm. um, what do you think would be the best year to see those areas if you're riding? Uh, best time best of the year. Best time of year, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so best time of the year, uh, um, I, I think the weather in um, sort of April, May is pretty stable mm -hmm. and um, really beautiful temperatures, kind of low 20s. Um, not much rain either, so no, I think that's really great before the typhoon season. Yeah, whereas if you if you're going in that sort of um, that window from I guess October or September through to November, you can really um, be interrupted by the typhoon season. As this year, um, we were certainly interrupted. We um, our flights to Japan were cancelled because of yep. typhoon, and of course, when we got there, another typhoon was coming through. So um, it can be pretty disruptive from a transport point of view. But um, if you were to go in later November, I also think that's a great time because uh -huh. you get the change in colours in the leaves, yep. and 
of course, Japanese are um, so into their seasons and very defined um, seasonal changes. So um, that whole period of um, momiji or looking at the um, you know the maple leaves changing colour is a really big thing. And having been there at that time, I, that's Personally, that's my favourite time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, autumn in Japan's beautiful. And summer, especially down there, can be very hot. Well, I think also um, taking into consideration we were in Okinawa in uh, late October and the temperatures were about 35 degrees yeah. with 80% humidity. Yeah. Um, there's no way I'd want to be there no. in summer. <laughs> uh, and even the Okinawans said, no, don't come in summer. It's it's too hot and too humid. Yeah. Um, plus also the rainfall is so much higher too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can you can get a, a run of beautiful days, but you could also arrive to consistent rain. Yes, you could. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Makes me wonder if uh, Will Woman will be running tours around Lake Biwa soon. Uh, I or think in that's the on the cards, yes. Okay. Uh, so we, we have a trip planned in 2020 in October. And uh, of course, we'll be going to ride the Shimanami Kaido cycling mm-hmm. event for October. And uh, I think we'll be tacking on a visit to Lake Biwa for that trip. Yeah. But I've also been inundated with people wanting to go, so we may actually run a second trip, which is um, potentially looking at Lake Biwa again and perhaps doing a slightly more extensive trip. I think the thing for us about Lake Biwa that I really like is that the government there um, are specifically promoting to women. And um, they say that because it's a flat course. Um, I, I think flat courses suit men and women. Yes. So, um, yes. you know, it's kind of by the by, really. But Lake Biwa is a really special area from, as you said, a cultural point of view, but also um, the scenery is really quite spectacular on the lake and you get some incredible atmospheric conditions with um, the mist dropping, you know, at night and then also in the morning as it lifts up. And the colours, of course, because of that can be quite spectacular. And so if if you do if you're doing like Lake Biwa, you've got a lake atmosphere. But then, of course, if you compare that to going to the Shimanami Kaido, um, which is also a water area, but you've got the contrast of sea landscape versus lake landscape. And they're quite different. um, And it's it's a really wonderful thing to see. Do you get the, the wind on Lake Biwa the way you do down this last trip, we didn't get any wind at all. It yep. was magnificent weather. But I had been there before cycling with my husband and I remember feeling like I was going to die from the cold <laughs> and feeling like I'd be blown off the bridge any second. <laughs> so, yes, the winds can be very strong. Okay. Well, if any of our listeners would like to stay up to date with when these proposed tours might happen, where can they find information about Will Women's tours? So if they go to the Will Women website, which is uh, willwomen.com.au, in our menu you will see Japan Tours and there's a bit of information there. Uh, We're updating that. We're still waiting for our itineraries to be completed Mm -hmm. for next year. So, um, But if they go there, they can register interest. Awesome. And thank you very much for coming into the studio today, Tina. Thank you for having me. And that was our interview with Tina McCarthy of Will Woman about uh, one of her many trips to Japan, cycling, um, exploring a new area around Lake Biwa, which sounds... Sounds good. Yes, yes. Um, We've just got time for a couple of events. Um, And I wanted to remind listeners about the Road Safety Symposium coming up in March 2020. 
There's one in Sydney on the 11th of March, one in Melbourne on the 13th. And uh, it's an exploration of evidence-based road safety, innovation and sustainable mobility with speakers from around the world, including Emeritus Professor Fred, Fred Wegman from the... Uh, Delft University, Meredith Glasser from the University of Amsterdam, John Merritt, former CEO of Vic Roads, and also Jeremy Woolley, who's from the Centre for Automotive Safety Research, as well as the CEO of the City of Yarra. Um, we did have an interview with Elliot Fishman about the symposium, so if you look back through our podcast, you'll be able to listen, tune into that if you want to hear more about it. Another event coming up if you go out in the woods this week. You will see Saturn and Venice in conjunction. It is a beautiful sight. All the uh, announcers on 3CR uh, paid enormous amounts of money, actually, <laughs> to bring you this highly geared thing. <laughs> and we rely on your donations to keep going. Next up is... Sheep You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.